everyone? So when they asked me to speak, I said, what do you want me to speak about? And they said, well, tell us your testimony and then spend the rest of the time talking about whatever you want to talk about. And so I said, sweet. So tonight you'll get to hear about Mike for a few minutes and then we'll spend the rest of the time talking the least boring things possible. Heaven. So before we get into my story, why don't we center our minds again and pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us, that there's things worth getting excited about. Please use the time tonight that we would come to her. In Jesus' name. So I've been coming here for about three months now. I guess it's about time I tell you guys where I came from. I was born over in the Bahamas, just a little ways away from here, about a 40-minute plane ride. I had Christian parents. In fact, my dad's one of the elders over there now. So they dragged me to church from the time I was a little boy. This means I knew the truth at a very early age, but I didn't do much about it. This is kind of a pattern that's repeated itself over and over in my life. Yeah, I know what to do, but I didn't do much about it. So when I was eight years old at a vacation Bible school, one night, the speaker said, if any of you want to know more about how to get saved, just stay in your seat after everybody else leaves, and one of the leaders will come and talk to you. And that night, something hit me. I thought, I should make sure I have this straight, that I'm actually saved. So I decided I would stay in my seat. When the time came for everybody else to leave, my heart started beating like it never had before. The kids got up to leave, and I wanted to go, and I wanted to stay. And I really, really wanted to go. And I really, really wanted to stay. Fortunately, all I had to do was nothing. I stayed in my seat. Uh, a little while later, one of the leaders came up to me and said, Joshua, why are you still here? And I said, I want to know more about how to get saved. So that night, he took me through a couple passages in the Bible and showed me what I would need to believe in order to be saved. I don't remember exactly what he showed me. I was only eight. But I do remember that that day I asked the Lord to forgive me to be my savior. And since then, he's been a whole lot more faithful to me than I have to him. I guess if I was to give you my testimony in one sentence, it would be Christ has helped me grow a lot. So again, I told you I knew the truth and didn't do much about it. I knew I should kind of start growing in the Lord, but I didn't do much about it. When I was 13, I started reading my Bible every day, which is like food for your soul. Uh, and then I started to grow, I'll say, by leaps and bounds. Um, until recently, I would tell you that is one of the hardest habits I've ever had to make to get into reading my Bible every single day. When I was 15, I started speaking in my church at Shirley Heights Gospel Chapel back in Nassau. And it wasn't just I got up one day and said, hey, I want to start speaking in the church on Sunday mornings. Oh, no. In part, it was because one elder at the church he said to me, hey, Josh, we really like to have you participate in the morning meetings. And the first time I kind of brushed it off. But um, he said it again a few weeks later or a few months later. And around this time, I was reading in 2 Corinthians and I came to the part where it says, and when you come together, everyone have a psalm, a revelation, an interpretation, a doctrine. And I thought, no, <laughs> the human authority God has put in place has told me I should participate. Scripture is telling me I should participate. Fine. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure the first Sunday I stood up and gave out a hymn and my knees were shaking. Um, after much practice, it's 
Still nerve-wracking while I sit in my seat, but now it's fun to get up and talk to people. It's a whole lot easier than it was before. Um, I started working at a camp in home over the summers. It's a teen scenes camp. I like doing that with the kids. Very shortly after I got saved and as I was growing, I thought that the best, the highest thing I could do with my life was to bring as many people to the Lord as I possibly could. I imagine being a bit like the Apostle Paul, or maybe you might imagine it a bit like Billy Graham. Let's reach out to as many people as we can and bring them to the Lord. And that's what I thought until I went to college. When I went to college, I went to a Christian school and I realized, you know, there's this whole other aspect of the Christian life that I was kind of neglecting. Not only are we called to help bring people to the Lord, to help bring them to salvation, but as believers, we are called to admonish, to challenge, to build up each other. So it's two parts, and I'd been focusing on the one and totally didn't think about the other one, that as believers, we're supposed to help each other grow. And so at this point, this is where I am. Uh, I wrote once before, I realized I was neglecting something vital. As followers of Christ, we're called not only to reach the lost, but also to help each other grow. Thus, I've dedicated my life to these two things, birth and growth in Christ's family. These are my passion. And that's the way it still is today. I'm not perfect, guys, um, but I care. I've had ups and downs. I've told you some highlights along the way. I haven't been perfect. God has been much more faithful to me than I have to him. He's played a very important role through his spirit, through his word, through his people, all of them encouraging and challenging me to help me to grow to where I am today. One day I'll be perfect, but that day isn't today. Unless I go to heaven. Speaking of which, um, I decided since I was going to talk about heaven, which is basically a second message, totally apart from my testimony, I would give it a nice title that everybody could remember. So the title for the message tonight is Heaven, People Do Stuff. If you can remember those three words, you'll remember the point of my message. People do stuff. We're going to talk about the amazing things about people in heaven. We're going to talk about some incredible things that get done in heaven. And we're going to talk about some other amazing stuff in heaven. I'm drawing a lot of material from a couple places in scripture like Isaiah and Revelation. And also from two different writers, Dr. Randy Alcorn, who wrote a great, big, long 400 or 600 page book called Heaven. And Dave Early, who wrote a very nice 100 page book called The 21 Most Amazing Things About Heaven. I'm sort of pulling from both of them, so you know where I've got my source material from. Before we talk about heaven, I want to make sure we're on the same page, so I'm going to brainwash you all. If you've never been brainwashed before, it's a perfectly harmless procedure, don't worry. At the end, I'm going to ask you two questions. If you cannot answer the two questions, it's because you've been successfully brainwashed, okay? Everybody ready? No? Good. Here's the story. A man left home jogging. He jogged a little and turned left. He jogged a little and turned left. He jogged a little, turned left, and headed home. As he was heading home, he noticed two masked men waiting for him. Question one, who are the two masked men? Why did the man leave home jogging? If you think you know the answer to number one, I would like you to raise your hand. Wow. If you think you know the answer to number two, I'd like you to raise your hand. Okay, 
I'm going to go through this again a little bit more slowly. Maybe you'll get it this time. A man left home jogging. He jogged a little and turned left. He jogged a little and turned left. He jogged a little, turned left, and headed back home. As he was heading home, he noticed two masked men waiting for him. Question one, who were the two masked men? And why did he leave home jogging? How many of you think you know at this time? Two more, three, four, okay, just a couple. All right, now I'm going to unbrainwash all of you. It's like an incredible feeling. As soon as you feel it, you'll be like, ah, oh. and I'm going to do it with a picture. I'm going to tell you the story again, but this time I'm going to provide you a picture to unbrainwash you. A man left home jogging. He jogged a bit and turned left. He jogged a bit and turned left. He jogged a bit, turned left, and headed back home. As he was heading home, he noticed two masked men waiting for him. Who were the two masked men? Catcher and the umpire. Why did he leave home jogging? Baseball. Why did I brainwash you all? When I said home, you started thinking about a house and maybe a yard, but that's not what we were talking about at all. I brainwashed you all because when I say heaven, you might not be thinking about the right thing. Are you thinking about some ethereal, ephemeral, like cloud in the sky? Are you thinking heaven will be an eternal, endless sing-along? That's not quite what heaven will be like. So I'm going to talk about heaven. People do stuff. You guys know the answer to the question. Let's first talk about people. And I catch up on my notes. To do that, I'd like us to turn together to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, um, at verse 9 through 11, it records some things about martyrs, people who were killed because they loved Jesus Christ. John is having a vision, or he's in heaven. John is telling us about what he's seen in heaven. And I'd like to read from you part of what he sees in Revelation chapter 5, and we'll start at verse 9. Oh, wait, no, not 5. 6 and verse 9. He says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, Dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren should be killed as they were until this number should be fulfilled. Three short verses. Dr. Randy Alcorn drew out 21 things that we can learn from these three short verses about people in heaven especially if we assume that what happens to these people is more or less like what's going to be happening to everybody in heaven. So let's talk about it. Uh, the first thing I'd like to mention about them is they're just like us. Just like us, but made perfect. When they died on earth, they relocated to heaven. They were the same people who died, these martyrs were. They had the same identity. In fact, their history extends back to earth. They were people known as slain for their testimony that they had from the Lamb. They're known in heaven 
for their lives on earth. Ooh, what we do on earth can affect our lives in heaven? Maybe. They called out. This is audible, which suggests that they had physical bodies, physical forms, like vocal cords or something else that they could make sound with. They can raise their voices, which shows they had passion, ration, emotion, and communication ability. Guys, they're like us. They had concern for justice and retribution, not just some passive disinterest in what was happening on the earth. They're people just like us. What's more, they're close to God. They're conscious of God, each other, and the situation on earth. They call out to God. They call out talking about each other and about what's happening on earth. The martyrs know what's happening on earth, at least enough to know that the people who killed them hadn't been judged yet. Does this mean people in heaven can see what's happening on earth? Well, there's no reason to think that they can't because that would make them unhappy. In heaven, the joy is based on increased perspective, a perspective based on being closer to God so we can see how he's working and why. Instead of being based on delusion or ignorance, joy is based on perspective and nearness to God. Not to mention the martyrs remember their lives on earth. They remember that they were murdered. They see God's attributes like his holiness that help to give, uh, make his judgment of sin more understandable. So they're people just like us. They're close to God. And people in heaven are waiting. Okay, guys, I'm going to tell you another story to help illustrate this point. But I need your help. Somebody tell me somewhere in Florida that's really, really nice. Just, just let me hear you. Yell it out. Orlando. Okay. Let's pretend the tri-rail has magically extended its route. And now it goes from Orlando straight up to where I was in cold, cold upland Indiana. It's a terrible place in the winter. It's cold. The tri-rail has magically extended its route from upland to... Um, to Orlando. That's the place. I am in my house in Upland. I'm going to leave my house to go to the train station. And when I go to the train station, I'm going to go to Orlando. All right. I'm going to want you to raise your hands because I'm going to ask you some true or false questions about my story. I am going to the train station. How many people say false? How many people say true? Okay, you guys are right. Uh, we also had a lot of non-voters. It's kind of weird. It's true or false. <laughs> Let's try this again. I have a second question. The train station is my final destination. How many people say true? How many people say false? Okay, Orlando's my final destination. All right, now I'm going to tell you the same story, but substitute some words. Actually, I won't tell you the story. Let me just ask you this. When a Christian dies, when a person who's saved dies, he's going to heaven. How many people say false? How many people say true? Cool. Great. Next question. When we die and go to heaven, heaven is our final destination. How many people say true? And how many people say false? Okay, guys, we have a lot of non-voters again. It's really weird. Um, I'm going to use a big word, and it's called intermediate, and it means in between. The heaven that's there now, theologians call it the intermediate heaven. One day God has told us he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth 
Where the saved people go when they die now is kind of an intermediate heaven. It's not the final one. God has yet to bring that here. And so when we say we die and go to heaven, that's true. We are going to heaven. It's like we're going to the train station. That's just not our final destination. Uh, I bring that out because the martyrs are waiting. Scripture says that there will be time no more. But right now they're still waiting. While they're there, they're effectively praying for the people on earth. They say, God, how long before you judge it? They're free to ask God questions, showing they have an audience with God. They, have, they lift up in a loud voice, which shows they have unity together, a shared perspective. And yet, God responds to them. One of the things he does in his response is give each of them white robes, which shows that though they have a shared perspective, it's not some Far East oneness. We're all one together. Instead, uh, they're individuals. They've retained their identity from earth. When we go to heaven, we will be the same people, just righteous men made perfect, as Hebrews puts it. Um, now, the white robes may be symbolic of something. That may be so. But that doesn't mean they're not actual physical robes. In fact, why would a spirit wear a robe unless it had some physical form? Heaven's going to be a very physical place, especially the new heaven and the new earth, guys. Not to mention God answered their question, showing communication and indicating that when we go to heaven, we might not automatically know everything right away. What a thought. God promises to fulfill their request, but they have to wait a bit longer. Unlike the new heaven and the new earth, the intermediate heaven is still around while the sinful earth is around. In the new heaven and the new earth, that's after God removes the curse and sin and makes it all new. Not to mention, the people in heaven have a strong family connection with those on earth. The scripture that we read in Revelation uh, 6 says that it's their brethren, their fellow servants who had yet to be slain that God was waiting for. And God knows down to the last detail exactly what's happening on earth. He knows exactly how many martyrs there will be, and he's prepared to act when the time comes. So what does that mean? People. One thing that's important is that your choices on earth today affect your life in heaven. You say, wait, what? My choices affect my life in heaven? Well, we're going to cast our crowns down at Jesus' feet one day, and some people in heaven are known for what they did on earth, like the martyrs. How do you want to be known in heaven? What kind of crowns do you want to be able to cast at Jesus' feet? A lot? Well then what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? You're gonna, your life in heaven can be impacted. In fact, it will be. I'll talk more about that later. As a rhyme, tell me if you've heard this before. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What you do on earth will impact your heaven. To, uh, will impact your life in heaven. Have you heard that rhyme before? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Okay, a couple of you have. Um, another thing to note is that happiness in heaven doesn't rely on delusion and ignorance, like of what's going on on earth. Instead, it relies on a broadened perspective and closeness to God. And by the way, happiness, I guess I should say joy. Happiness comes and goes Joy is much more constant and strong, based on totally different things. 
And just because bad stuff can happen to us in heaven, doesn't mean we won't appreciate the good. Like somebody who lived through the Great Depression, they can look back and remember that how bad it was and how good it is now. In the same way, when we get to heaven, just because bad stuff will not happen to us, that doesn't mean at all we won't appreciate the good there. All right, people, they are just like us. They are, oh, let me check, make sure I say it right. They are just like us. They are close to God, and they are waiting. All right, so our title is Heaven, People Do Stuff. Let's go on to do. Amazing things about what's happening in heaven. Did you know heaven is home of the best parties ever? Oh, you don't believe me? Let me ask you a couple questions. Where was Jesus' first miracle performed? Wedding party. Where was Jesus anointed for burial? Dinner party. Where did Jesus eat his last meal with his disciples? Supper party. When somebody gets saved, what happens in heaven? God throws a party. <laughs> heaven will be home of the best parties ever. It's the most exciting place in the universe. Okay, I don't want you to think I'm just going to make this up, so I want to read some scripture about it first. Uh, can we turn to Revelation chapter 4? Revelation chapter 4, and I'd like to start at verse 2. This is part of John's vision in heaven again. He says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat on the throne was to look like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had, in their, uh, they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion and the second beast like a calf and the third beast had the face of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. This is only talking about the worship in heaven at this point. Dave Early, the guy who wrote the 21 most amazing things about heaven, he summarizes it this way. He says, Imagine every color of the rainbow ignited and exploding before your eyes. Feel rocked to your core by the thunder, lightning, and sea of voices roaring in perfect syncopation and symphony around the throne. Drink in the stunning splendor and spectacular beauty and witness astounding angelic creatures. By witnessing, by worshiping directly at the throne of the author of life, you will become more alive than you ever imagined possible. 
And guys, this is just talking about the worship. We're not even talking about all the other cool stuff we get to do in heaven. Amazing things are going to happen in heaven. On its worst day, heaven is better than the best day on earth. And by the way, heaven's the home of the most biggest and best family reunions imaginable. We're going to see not only each other, everybody we knew who's saved, but everybody also we didn't know who's saved. They're our family in Christ. Finally, heaven will be the site of a wonderful rewards banquet. 2 Corinthians 3 talks about this. If you don't believe what you do on earth impacts your life in heaven, believe it. Our salvation, by the way, this awards banquet is not to determine salvation. That's something completely different. This awards banquet is for people who are saved. That means all of us. And we get rewards based on our life on earth. 2 Corinthians 3 tells us that some people will suffer loss. What they've done on earth will be like wood or hay or stubble. And when it goes through the fire, their work will be burned. Yet they'll be saved, though as by fire even though they'll suffer loss. Other people, other work will be like gold, silver, precious stones. When it passes through the fire, will only be made pure. And so based on our work on earth, our lives in heaven are impacted. So, makes me ask the question, what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? Heaven, people do stuff. I know, very technical word. Heaven is a literal place. In heaven, when we get there, we get a total body makeover. New heaven and new earth, new bodies too. So for all those people who are older than me and less perfect than I am, don't worry, you'll be more like me. In fact, I'll be a lot better than I am now, so that's a good thing. <laughs> Heaven is the home you always wanted. It's like the Garden of Eden. Will heaven will host the best wedding of them all. The New Testament talks about this in Revelation. When the church, which is pictured as the bride of Christ, and Christ finally consummate their wedding. We also have a wonderful wedding feast there. The food, I reckon, will be pretty good in heaven. After all, God made our taste buds and our pleasure centers. He probably knows how to make good food. Heaven will host the best wedding of them all. Heaven will be a glorious kingdom ruled by King Jesus. Now, hear this. The best thing about heaven is that we will be with the Lord. The thing I am most excited about to have when I go to heaven is that I will finally see face to face the one who gave his life for me, who day by day now is patient with me as I sin, as I mess up, who's at God's right hand interceding for me. That is the thing I am most excited about. But, as we've seen, that's not the only thing worth getting excited about. There is lots of cool stuff in heaven. I haven't started talking about the streets of gold, the tree, the hill, the, the new earth. Right now I'm not distinguishing very much between the new heaven and the new earth and the intermediate heaven that's there now for this message. I don't have time. But there's so much cool stuff, even aside from the thing I'm most excited about seeing and being with my Lord. Heaven one day, by the way, will have a glorious capital city. You think we're going to get rid of culture and civilization? No. The Bible describes it in great detail in Revelation 21 and 22 with the precious stones, the silver. It'll be a place of righteousness. The kings of the world will bring their glory into it. 
It's going to be a cool place. Heaven is God's home. We'll get to associate with amazing creatures called angels there. Who knows whether there'll be animals in heaven. Here's something else that's cool. Heaven will blow your mind and expand it too. So back when people were first created, like Adam and Eve, people lived to be about 900 years old. That's a long time, right? How much do you think you could learn if you lived 900 years? How much could you invent? How many new skills could you master? How much evil could you do? Well, in heaven and on the new earth, we won't have 900 years. And we won't have the problem of people doing evil there either. We'll have all of eternity to explore the new heaven and the new earth. You think the earth, the universe now is cool. Just wait. To explore it, to grow, to master, to learn. All without sin and all so close to our Lord Jesus Christ. And with family all around too. Now guys, that sounds like heaven to me. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, Now I see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I also know, even as also I am known. Right now we are known by Christ fully, perfectly, deeply. Well, we're going to know a whole lot better when we get there. We'll remove the... Have you guys ever looked in like your car window and tried to see your reflection in it? That's a dim reflection. You can kind of see it. It's not compared to seeing face to face. All right, we're almost to the end. One more thing I want to say before I reach the end of stuff and then go to my conclusion. I was really happy that uh, Dave early included this chapter at the end of his book. His last chapter says, the, the 21, the 21st, most amazing thing about heaven, is that you can get there from anywhere on earth through Jesus Christ. The way into heaven is open to everybody. Not by paying a bunch of money, not by giving a bunch of time, not by any work, but when we recognize what Christ Jesus has done for us, how when we did not deserve his love, when we had disgusted him, done wrong to him through our own wrongdoings, because all wrong is against him, when we had done this, and were without strength to pay it off, he came to this earth, suffered, bled, and died. He took the punishment for our wrong, for the wages of sin is death. And because of that, we can have eternal life through him when we repent and ask him to forgive us of our sin. We can get to heaven from anywhere on earth. By the way, if you're not already going, why don't you come talk to me? I'd love to help make sure you're going. Heaven's a cool place. And the guy who I love most, Christ Jesus, really wants you there. So I'd like you there too. I want to make him happy after all. Um, we can get there from anywhere on earth. It's an incredible thought. And not to be, like, underemphasized. Because as amazing as heaven is, it wouldn't be nearly so cool for us if we couldn't go there, right? Um, as I close, I'd like to tell you um, the words of a song. It's called Thank You. I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but I, I, I want you to hear it. It says, 
I dreamed I went to heaven, and you were there with me. We walked upon the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing, and someone called your name. A young man, he was coming down. He was smiling as he came. And he said, friend, you may not know me now. And then he said, but wait. You used to teach my Sunday school class. I was only eight. Every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. One week when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus into my heart. Thank you for giving to the Lord. For I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. Then another man stood before you and said, Do you remember the time? A missionary came to your church. His pictures made you cry. You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave. That's why I'm here today. Thank you for giving to the Lord. For I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. One by one, they came to you, far as the eye could see. Each one somehow touched by your generosity. The little things that you had done, sacrifices made, unnoticed on the earth, in heaven now proclaimed. Now I know up in heaven, you're not supposed to cry. But I am almost certain there were tears in your eyes as Jesus took your hand and you stood before the Lord. He said, my child, look around you, for great is your reward. Thank you for giving to the Lord. For I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. The things we do on earth affect our lives in heaven. First of all, if you're not saved, you're not going. That will really affect it. But even if you're not saved, even if you are saved, things you do will affect your life in heaven. If nothing else, we're going to cast crowns at Jesus' feet. What kind of crowns will you have? What will you have earned? Okay. Guys, heaven. People do stuff. What on earth are you doing, for heaven's sake? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for how much your word tells us about heaven. We don't have to assume that because we can't know everything, we can't know anything. We can know a whole lot. This message of only scratched the surface, I guess. Help us to get excited about what's coming. 
to get excited about seeing you and about living for you now. In the blessed name of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Guys, if you'd like more information about this, the book of Revelation is loaded, especially chapters 21 and 22. You can pick up some from chapters 4, 5, and 6. There's things in Isaiah 64 and 65. If you want uh, a whole book about it, I really highly recommend Dave Early's book, The 21 Most Amazing Things About Heaven. I don't agree with all of what he says, but I think most of it's pretty spot on. If you want a much more in-depth book about it, Dr. Randy Alcorn's book appropriately titled Heaven is a really good choice. Let me know if you want to borrow either of them. Thank you very much.